0: to the Granary Church podcast. We are happy you're here. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. It was beautiful having the worship team, just a guitar and three singers today. It was just so beautiful. We did such a great job. I'm on this little group chat with people who are setting things up in the park and Stu sent... This little message about the verse, if you have the Bible app on your phone, the verse today says, listen, which actually means hark. We've called our whole Advent series Hark, it means listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord, make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. And when you think of hark meaning listen, what I feel that God is saying to us today, every day, but... Right now is you can listen with your natural ears, but you actually have spiritual ears. And today he's saying, Will you listen with your spiritual ears? Will you look with your spiritual eyes? And how do you do that? Well, this is the problem. You you know how to listen with your own ears and you know how to see with your own eyes, but to actually exercise your spiritual ears and your spiritual eyes is something spiritual. So you need God to help you do that. But actually everyone has the ability to do that. You've all been created with the ability to see God and to hear God. You just have to take a step to let him do that for you. So I want to pray as we get into this today that everyone would have open ears And open eyes. It's something that's written actually. Jesus talked about it a lot that people who, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And we think that just means physical hearing. It means something to do with the inner part of you, which is the eternal part of you, which is the part of you that is actually you. That's where he wants you to hear. and um, That's where he wants you to see him in those, the depths of your being. And if that doesn't even make sense to you, I'm going to pray that um, you can have your spiritual ears and eyes opened and you won't have to do anything except ask God to let it happen and he will do that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that as we gather here today, Lord, we're taking time out. We're taking time out to encounter you. And we want to encounter you, Father, in more than just a, a physical way. We want to encounter you from the depth of our being. And so I pray for each one of us, Lord, that you'll open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, the eyes of our souls, that we might see you. Open the ears, our spiritual ears, that we might hear you, that we might hear your voice speaking deep into our, the very depth of our being. And, and as we sit here today, Lord, we know that we are encountering, encountering the one who made the heavens and the earth, who sets everything into motion. And we sit here knowing Lord that we are one of many billions people on this planet and that many millions and billions have lived before us. And yet you look at each one of us today and each one of us is precious to you. And you hold us in the palm of your hand as your precious, precious child. And so Father, as We come to you today knowing how much you love us. May we have our expectations increased. May the eyes of our hearts see you more clearly. May we hear your voice clearly. And may we delight in all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. And today I want to talk to you about this word suddenly. Um, A lot of suddenlies happen in your life. You know how um, if you've ever been a woman who's pregnant. Sometimes your waters break and it happens and suddenly you're going into labour. Or you're sitting at home and you're waiting for someone to come and sub- suddenly they knock at the door. Or you're asleep and your alarm suddenly goes off and wakes you up. Or you go to a surprise party but it's yours so you don't know it's a surprise party and you walk into the room and suddenly everyone's cheering and singing happy birthday or something to you. And there's all these suddenlies that happen in your life. I'm sure everyone's had suddenly, it's good and bad suddenly. Suddenly a car appears in front of you on the road. Suddenly your baby starts crying. Suddenly you discover you're getting a pay rise at work. Suddenly, all these suddenly things happen. You go for a job and suddenly the phone rings and you find out you got it. There are all these suddenlies. But in a way, they're not suddenlies. They're only suddenlies to you. Because you didn't know what they were going to happen. If someone's putting on a surprise party for you and you arrive and they all call out surprise, it's suddenly to you, but it's not to everyone else who was putting it on. They've been anticipating it for a long, long time. And it's been very exciting for them as they wait for this moment when you are surprised. And we hope. I hope you like surprises. There's all these suddenlies that happen when you suddenly go into labor. It's not really suddenly. You've been that baby's been growing within you for 9 months and it is going to come out. It's just you don't know when. There are lots of suddenlies in your life and there's suddenly when your alarm clock goes off. It wasn't really suddenly when you set it the night before the seconds start ticking down until it gets to that moment. Or like something that I've done every now and then put the plug in the sink and turn the tap on and then start doing something else in another room and I go and I discover suddenly it was overflowing. It wasn't really suddenly. As soon as I put the tap in and the plug in and turned the tap on, it was filling up. The moment was going to come for an overflow but it was building up. There's a lot of suddenlies in life from your perspective. But if you had a bigger perspective, you would be able to see the person driving to your place and walking up your steps and knocking on your front door. You would be watching that clock right through the night that's about to go off. You would be seeing the people with excitement preparing the surprise party. You would see that there was a plan happening behind everything, that everything is, is working together. And what God wants us to know today is that he is a promise keeper. And he wants us to constantly believe and expect the suddenlies. He wants us to have a more eternal perspective where you may not be able to see everything that he sees, but you know that he is a promise keeper who has a plan. And when we come to celebrate Christmas, we see this amazing plan that he has had for thousands of years coming into fruition. And it's not that he suddenly woke up one day and thought, I know what I'm going to do. He had a plan. But for the people who were becoming part of the plan, it was a suddenly. And God wants you to know that he's never changed, that he is a promise keeper and that to become a fully fledged human being is not just about your physical development. It's the development of your inner being that in the times of waiting, you, you become a person who increasingly trusts, as we've sung this morning, in his, your confidences in his faithfulness. You rest in his promises, your confidences in his faithfulness, and it's in that waiting period that that inner strength happens in you. And everyone here today is in a waiting period for some promise of God. The Bible is full of the promises of God, full of them, and some of them, for instance, in Romans eight twenty eight, he promises he promises that he will work all things together for good for those who love him and accord called according to his purposes. He promises that he will never fail us or forsake us. He'll promise he promises that he will give us life. He promises that he will comfort us. There's so many. Thousands of promises. You can read the scriptures and if you just read them looking for promises, you will find one every single day. He is the God of promise. But sometimes in our waiting, we lose hope. And we think he's changed. Because we're used to human beings who do change our minds about things, sometimes we think God is like that and that he's changed his mind and you've been waiting for him to work something together for good and you've been waiting for so long and the situation's got worse and worse and worse, you think that God must have changed his mind or the promise isn't for you in this case, even though God says that's his promise towards you, that he will work all things together for good as you trust in him. And so... I believe in our times of waiting, God wants us to make us strong on the inside. See, if, you, if every morning you wake up and just what you want is there on the spot before you, you will never get to develop that spiritual muscle. But a perfectly whole person is one who totally trusts in the love of God. That's the perfectly whole person, the one, because that's who Jesus is. He knows his father and he totally trusts in his love. And regardless of what happens, he knows God is going to bring something good out of it. That's a fully fledged human being. You might think a fully fledged human being is someone who, who never makes a mistake, but the fully fledged human being is the one who trusts who truly trusts in him and knows that his love actually never fails us. In Jeremiah 17, 7, it says this, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. If you want to be blessed, you trust in the Lord and you have your confidence in him regardless of what is happening. So all through history, God has had this plan. And on a global and eternal scale, he promised that he would restore all things. That's his promise. He promised he would send his son. It was prophesied that his son would be born in Bethlehem. Hundreds of years before he was born in this obscure little town, it was prophesied that he would be born in Bethlehem. It's impossible for him to be born there to control, like for Jesus, the baby, to control that happening. It was promised that he would be prophesied that he'd be born of a virgin. So much of what happened at Christmas time, so many prophecies were fulfilled and they are very, very unique and specific things. Not random big things, they're unique and specific things. So God is a promise keeper, this is his nature. And as we read the scriptures and as we go through life, we see his promises never fail. There is a waiting time, but his promises never fail. And something happens profound in his waiting time. There's a verse in Job 19, verse 25, if you've if you've ever read the book of Job, it's not one that you read for like, this will be a fun little night's entertainment. I think I'll read the book of Job because it's about someone whose life goes really, really badly. It was going really, really well. And then it goes really, really badly. And in that time of it going really, really badly, his friends try to explain to him that it's his fault that it's gone really badly, which it's not. They're wrong because they they have this worldview of things go wrong in your life. It must be because God's punishing you for something, which means they don't really know God. And Job in the middle of it says, but as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand upon the earth at last. I know that he's going to work all things together for good, but I just love the way it starts off, as for me, as for me. And I I believe one of the key things God wants us to get today is to ask ourselves, what is my as for me? Because I can be coming to church, going to my connect group, have family and friends who are followers of Jesus, and I'm relying on their faith. But God wants me to have my own. He wants me to have my own. As for me, this is what I believe. So that you might believe or not believe. You might um, change your mind. You know, I might be good friends with you. And then one day you say, I don't believe anymore. But as for me, I believe that my Redeemer lives. My faith is built on my knowledge of him alone. It's not built on anything else. And I want to ask you today, what is your as for me? Because sometimes when you're going through hard times and you're worrying, you need to say to yourself, what is this telling me about my as for me? It's telling me that I don't really have confidence that he's going to work this through. So I want to get down to our suddenlies and our as for me. And I want to go through the little story that many of you will be familiar with about um the birth of Jesus and the shepherds coming to see Jesus. Now, at our connect group on Friday night, many of whom are here today, I came up with this, what I thought was going to be a fun little game. It was quite a depressing little game, actually, and everyone got quite upset by it in the end because it was a Christmas IQ test and uh, it was about, you know, things like this. Did Mary ride on a donkey? Well, the Bible doesn't say she did. She may have, but she didn't so Some people got that wrong. And um, lots of other things which you'll find out, which I'll share. Most of them are here today, my connect group, not the things in the story, donkeys and mangers, they're not here. Because when you read it closely, you find there's some things that we've just seen in plays and movies and everything. It really doesn't make that much difference. But as someone wisely said in our group, it just shows us that you need to read really closely. You need to own this for yourself because sometimes you discover what you've been just believing actually wasn't there in the first place. So, for instance, it doesn't say there was an inn. Did you realise that? We call, you know, no room at the inn, etc. There wasn't an inn. In fact, if you it, the, the word um, for that's used for no room is as a word from lodging. The Greek word actually means um, a spare room in a home. When Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan, the word he uses then is actually like an inn, like a Holiday Inn, or you know, something like that that you would go to. It's a different word. In this case, is actually a room in a home, so it means there was no room in a home, and so what homes had though was like a room where the animals went into. Some of the homes in Europe still have those today. That's attached to the house, and so someone's kindly said, "You can sleep in there." It's very significant that this happened. So let's go through this story and see what God could be saying to all of us today. While they were there, that's Mary and Joseph. So um, what's happened is that. This, um, Caesar Augustus, who rules the entire Roman Empire, has called for a census and everyone has to go back to the place of their birth. Can you imagine that happening today? We have census every five years. Who would have to leave Newcastle if there were, every time you had a uh, hand up if you have to leave? Who would, um, who would stay? Yes, not very many of us would stay. And uh, who would have to go interstate? And who would have to go overseas? Oh, a lot would have to go overseas. So it would be interesting, wouldn't it? And you'd be knocking on someone's door and saying, can I stay? And they may say to you, you can sleep in the barn um, because we don't have any room in our home for you because everyone's taken all, all the guest rooms. So they go to Bethlehem because that's where Jesus, that's where Joseph originally came from. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them, just to prove my point. And the manger, the manger is mentioned here. Now the manger is going to be mentioned three times in this few small verses and this is very, very important. A manger is a feeding trough and if you know French, it is simply the word to eat. So it's just a feeding trough for animals. That's where he was sleeping. You notice in this verse it says the time came. And it may have looked like a suddenly, but it wasn't a suddenly. The Holy Spirit had planned this birth before time began. This was just the right time. God was going to bring his son into the world and it had to happen right at this time. And so God had to basically like, move heaven and earth to get this to happen because it had been prophesied that the baby was going to be born in Bethlehem but Joseph and Mary were living in Nazareth. So they had to get to Bethlehem somehow. So how was God going to make that happen? Just get everyone moving around the entire Roman Empire to get Mary and Joseph to this spot At that right time, God can do anything, you know. And you might be sitting here tonight and you today, and you can see situations in your life, and you know there's a promise that says God works all things together for good, but you think it's too late now. Time has gone on because sometimes you think time means God changed his mind but God's nature never changes. Time has gone on and you can't imagine how it can happen. And I'm here to tell you that if God can get the Caesar Augustus to move everything in the Roman Empire around just so that Mary could be in that spot To give birth to jesus at that time he can do anything in your life because he could do that then but he's never changed the thing to know about god is that he never ever changes and if you can do that again move thousands of people around the roman empire so that jesus can be born at that moment He can do something in your life. And he's saying today, I want you to expect greater things. And then the suddenly will happen. Suddenly the baby is born. But God's been planning this for centuries before time began. It's it's a beautiful plan that he has. And for your life, he has a beautiful plan. And he wants you to be expecting your suddenly because it'll be a suddenly to you, but it won't be a surprise to him because he's been planning it for a very, very long time. And it's also significant that there was no guest room because he's born in this place that's very accessible. No one has to knock on the door of the house. It's very, very accessible. And God is giving a a very strong message to all of us that he is accessible. He's totally accessible. And some of us have these ideas in our head that he's not accessible because of ourselves. Because of our our lives, because of our lack of faith, because of our failures, because of the things of ourselves that we're very, very conscious of. And we think God is not really accessible to us. We think we're not important enough or we're not good enough. But God was very accessible for this young woman, Mary, He trusted her to bring the Son of God into the world. And he's very accessible. He's saying to you, I'm totally accessible and it has nothing to do with how good or bad you are, how high class or low class or smart or rich or poor, whatever the world places on you as what makes you, as what makes someone valuable. Nothing to do with that. I'm making myself totally accessible and I'm the king of kings and lord of lords, but I'm happy to be born and lie in a feeding trough just so that you know I am accessible. I'm totally accessible. If you've got any notion in your mind that God is not accessible for you or that you are not worthy enough to come to him, just remember this, this baby in a manger, a humble baby in a manger, is God saying to you loudly and clearly, I'm accessible. has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with his kindness and his love for you. And then it says this, and that night, so the baby is born, and there were shepherds living out in fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And you might think, yeah, I've heard that a lot of time. There were shepherds and that's that's a nice thing. This is a profound thing. Because here you have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of the entire universe, comes to the world and just nearby there are a lot of people. There's kings and princes and rulers, there's wealthy people, there's important people, but out on the hillside there are the most insignificant, lowest class people, the shepherds. These people are not even allowed in the temple. They're not allowed in any sacred space because they're always unclean. Significantly they're out there preparing the lambs for the temple sacrifice, but they're not allowed in the temple. They're banned from the temple. And who does God come to? the lowest of low and the poorest of poor and the ones who seem most insignificant in the world's eyes. And yet there's something really profound in that because what happens with these people, these shepherds out on the in the hillside, is that they don't think of themselves as being highly significant and somehow that makes them very open to receiving from God. You can in this world... Be so full of yourself that you miss the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You can be so full of your own understanding of God. You can be so full of your own position in society or your own philosophies in life that you miss it. But these guys, they're just people out in the hillside. They wouldn't be allowed if he was born into a palace as a king. They wouldn't be allowed to come in and see him. But because he's born where the animals are, it's totally accessible. And these are the first people who get to hear the message. So don't think God comes to you because you have anything amazing about yourself. He just comes to you because he loves you. Nothing to do with you or well, something to do with you. You are precious to him. That's it. But all the little things that we do, if we think so amazing, are nothing. You know, um, have you heard the joke about um because you know that heaven is described as a beautiful place with um the streets paved with gold. And there's a story of a guy who goes to heaven and he wants to take all his wealthy, his treasures with him. He's been very, very rich. And he gets to the gate and St. Peter says, What have you got in your bag? And he opens it up and it's full of his gold. And Peter goes, Oh, street papers? Why'd you bring street papers? So um you don't have anything that makes you worthy except the fact that he created you and he loves you and hang on to that because that is the most precious thing that you have that he is your father and he loves you and so this is what happened next see sorry the kings i sorry just before i move on the kings who were around that night missed him and you know there's a story which comes just after this of King Herod, who hears that this child has been born and people are saying this is a king and he doesn't like this and he takes everything into control to try to stop this happening and he can't do it and he misses out. And there's a big picture here, a big comparison between those who think they have power and try to use it to control God and those who know they don't have power and experience the power of God, experience the greater power. And so while these guys are sitting there, these shepherds, it says in verse nine, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Now just to pause here, my connect group here today will know this, the answer to this, but you'll all probably know it now because you read the verse. How many angels spoke to them? One, just one spoke. Many people think it was thousands that spoke. Thousands sang, but one spoke. So when you have to do the Christmas IQ test, you'll get that one right now. One angel spoke and they were terrified. Has anyone here actually ever seen an angel? One of my sons saw an angel and, uh, and there's probably someone here who's seen an angel. And um, the, the amazing thing is, and actually one of my friends here who was in our connect group then asked him about what the angel looked like. He was seven. And uh, as he described it, my friend said he described it like an angel in the book of Revelation, not the angel on a Christmas card. Because the angels on the Christmas card have big wings and things like that. But if you read in the book of Revelation, they're not described like that. That was an amazing thing. But some people go, oh, no, it was probably this or this. Yeah, people want to explain away amazing things that happen because they want everything to be explainable. The thing is, everything isn't explainable, and, and you know that. Like, you know, there was a time when people were trying to invent aeroplanes, and people would think, how could, how could you ever get something that would fly around the world? Well, you can, but they couldn't imagine it, so they thought it couldn't happen. When I was a teenager, my dad was doing some building work in um, Papua New Guinea, and my sister and I went up there one holidays with our family, and we stayed with the Bishop of um, Papua New Guinea in Port Moresby one night, and he was telling us about when uh, Mount Lamington in Papua New Guinea erupted, and for a couple of years after that, the, the soil was so fertile that the sweet potatoes were like this. And I remember telling people that and they go, nah, don't believe that. Well, the bishop of Papua New Guinea told me the story and uh, apparently he was there. And uh, people go, nah, I don't believe that. Well, the soil was so fertile, things can happen, you know, and that's just a sweet potato. And so somehow we have this like a bit like Thomas in the scriptures. Unless I can see it, I won't believe it. But I believe God is saying, expect the unexpected. I'm the God who created the heavens and the earth. Like, Where is the end of the universe? You don't know. What's it feel like to be in the middle of a star? You don't know. What's it feel like to sit on Mars or Jupiter? You don't know. So if you've got to remember you don't know everything. And you sound really silly when you say, I don't believe that because you're basically saying the world revolves around me and only what I've experienced is reality. And it's a very narrow view of the world. And so an angel comes to them, and I really believe some of this is in the scripture to remind us that we don't know everything and we are called to expect the miraculous. From the very, very start of this this Christmas story and then right through to the ministry of Jesus, it was all about the people who could believe for the miraculous. You see Jesus saying to people, your faith has made you whole. And he says, when I come back, will I find faith? And he said in his own hometown, he couldn't do miracles because they had no faith. So he's looking for people who expect the miraculous. When the angel comes to Mary and says, you're gonna give birth to the son of God, He's looking for a person who will expect the miraculous. And if she says, no, impossible, he would have had to go to someone else. She says, how can this happen? And he gives an explanation which she probably doesn't really understand. So she just says, okay, off you go. Let it happen. And she expects the miraculous. These shepherds expect the miraculous because they do something about it. And what about you? Do you expect the miraculous? Do you expect it or do you think the world has to revolve around you and you'll only believe what you've seen? Because God had came into the world to expand our horizons, to expand them. And so an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Yeah, Every time an angel appears in the scriptures, the people are terrified, naturally, and the angel always says don't be afraid because the angel comes from a realm which is very present you just can't see it it's not way way up it's very very present the celtic christians used to call places where you could suddenly experience you see an angel thin places because it was like suddenly the invisible world becomes visible to you so there is an invisible world and sometimes it becomes visible to you and that's what happened with them but the world that they come from is a world without fear there is no fear in heaven except for the reverence of God, which is a different sort of fear. And he says to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. It says um, in this book, um, Metanoia, it's about um, repentance. The early church fathers and mothers who were theological virtuosos when it came to exploring the boundaries of what can and cannot be known about God, were right to remind us that when dealing with the Lord of the universe, there is always more. Even in our best attempts, we never arrive at a totally comprehensive understanding of God. If anyone claims to have done so, then it's not God they have understood. Do you think you've got all your theology worked out? You haven't. Do you think you know God perfectly? No, if, if you have, if you feel like you've got God in a box, God is saying, I don't know what's in that box, but it's not me. And a lot of us have this little box with a string wrapped up around it, and we think that's everything I need to know. And all you need to know, as one great theologian, I think it was Karl Barth said, after all he'd studied, someone said to him, out of all your studies and all the books you've written, what is the most important thing? And he said this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's what you need to know. You won't understand everything, but you'll know in the depths of your heart that he loves you. And so the angel says, Today in the town of David a saviour has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. So we get the manger again. The manger is really key here because it's a sign because you don't generally find babies in mangers. So God moves heaven and earth to make sure that they end up in this particular space with a manger so that these shepherds can see the sign. And God will do the same for you. It, it says in the scriptures that you will seek me and you will find me if you search for me with all your heart. And as you search and as you get into the scriptures and as you keep rejoicing in him, he will constantly give you signs. And this is a very important sign that is going to be lying in a manger. But a sign itself You know, if you're driving towards Newcastle and you see a sign that says Newcastle 10 kilometres, it's not Newcastle itself. It's a sign that tells you you're in the right direction. And when they see this manger, it's a sign of something greater. And God will keep giving you signs in your life of something greater. And then this amazing suddenly happens. It says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying. Now everyone in my Connect group will know now that this is not a choir but an army. Yes, they're sitting over here. A heavenly host is actually an army. They'll remember that because most of them got it wrong the other night. Did you? <laughs> Three very humbling. Um, It's an army. I didn't know that till the other night either. So did anyone know that? A heavenly host is an army. It's not a choir. They're an army that sings really beautifully and uh, probably not just soprano. Everything you could imagine. And it's very significant. Don't you think it's incredible that on the night Jesus was born, it wasn't just a choir celebrating. It was an army coming to do battle. I find that amazing. It's an army coming to do battle against fear, against hopelessness, against darkness, against sin, against all the troubles in this world. There's an army around us and there's still an army around us. There's still an army fighting for you. And it was a suddenly to them because they're just sitting on the hillside watching the sheep. But it wasn't a suddenly to God. This was like a surprise party to him. He's been planning this for centuries and he's been planning it for this little group of shepherds for centuries. And he's probably laughing with delight as they are suddenly confronted with this enormous army singing praises to God. How amazing. And God has suddenlies for you as well. They didn't know it was happening. They're just sitting there going about their business but they were humble and their hearts were open and they were ready to receive. And God is saying the same to you today. Are you ready for your suddenly? Are your hearts positioned for a suddenly? Because they say glory to God in the highest, they sing, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. And I believe that his favour will rest on anyone who is ready to receive him. Because some people at that point wouldn't receive him. King Herod wouldn't receive him. He tried to kill babies just so that Jesus couldn't become the King of kings and Lord of lords. And you can try to kill him out of your life still today. But if you will sit still and surrender to him, his favor will rest on you. The favor of God will rest upon you. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so here's a very significant point in the journey. They could have just had this amazing experience and then just said, was that real? Because sometimes people have done that, you know, they've had an experience of God and then several years later they go, well, I don't know anymore. You've got to act on your experiences because it it was real. Or they could have said, it was great and it's really good news, but I'm pretty happy here just looking after my sheep. I don't want anything more in life. And they choose to leave the sheep, which is their comfort zone behind, and God is calling us to do the same. You will have a comfort zone. And the comfort zone is not so much what you're doing, it's how you're thinking. Have you ever been with people who every time you talk to them, everything's negative? Like if it's cloudy, we don't like… If it rains, even in a drought, oh, it's going to rain this weekend… You know, there's been a drought. I think, we no, nah, but I had a party planned, you know. There's, everything is negative. It's their, it's their comfort way of thinking. They're used to it. And each one of us here today, you can look and think, yes, I know that person. It could be you. It could be you. But you do have a default way of thinking that's not there yet. So don't think your default way of thinking is perfect. The default way of thinking needs to be this, Jesus loves me. And I'm going to be expecting the suddenlies and I'm going to be expecting the good things in life. I'm going to expect that no matter how long I wait, God will work all things together for good. I'm expecting that his promises will never fail. I'm expecting that he loves me with an everlasting love. I'm expecting this. And if you can have that expectation in your life, you are ready for a suddenly. And so they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And because they left something behind, they discovered what they were looking for, the manger. There, was it, there it was, the sign. And will you be willing to say to God today, change my way of thinking because your comfort zone is your way of thinking. It's not so much what you do, it starts in your heart and your mind. It's your way of thinking. What do you expect from God? What do you know about God? What do you believe from him? And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Because these guys are nothing. And they go off telling this amazing thing that happened and no one is going to say that didn't, well, if you did say it, they didn't care what you say. That didn't happen. It's like the guy telling me about the sweet potatoes and people say that didn't happen. Well, apparently it did. And... When something happens extraordinarily to you by the power of God, you will talk about it. you talk about it more than a nice philosophy or an idea because you experienced it and you know what happened and it was mind-blowing and it changed your life and you've got to keep remembering it. You've got to keep that in the forefront of your mind otherwise you'll go back to your default way of thinking. Now, when I was in hospital a couple of weeks ago, I was very sick and um, the doctor came one day and said, you're not getting any better. I think we're going to have to operate. And then she described the operation. I thought, I really do not want that. I don't want that. And so I did two things. I um, rang everyone I could think of to ask more people to pray. And thank you. Many of you prayed. And um, she said, we've got till tomorrow. And uh, your inflammation, inflammatory markers, whatever they are, Sarah, you can tell me, in the, and Jane, my nurse friends, if then do to go, start going down by tomorrow, we're operating. So I got everyone praying and I put my headphones in and I started listening to Joel Osteen to get an immediate faith boost because I needed, I felt God saying, you need an as for me. You can get everyone praying, but you need to say as for me, I'm going to trust in the Lord. So I did that. And um, isn't it good that someone created headphones so you just lie there and meditate on that. And the next day they came and they say, oh, your blood test has turned. And... Uh, I've told lots of people that because that's my, that was amazing. It was amazing. And I'm praising God for that because um, it wasn't heading that way. And then the surgeon came at the end of the week and said, So it really, really does look like you're giving me the weekend off. I said, I am. You can go and have fun. And I'm rejoicing. And so when you have these moments where you see God doing something, you want to talk about it because, you know, it's not just a little philosophy or a nice idea. It's actually something of the power of God in your life. And God wants all of you to have experiences like the shepherds had. He wants you to have an experience where you could say, this happened in my life. And I don't care what you say. I know that God loves me and this is real. And so Christmas, the time of the Christmas season, I, I read recently, is the great magnifier. Not Christmas itself, but the Christmas season is a great magnifier. Mag- magnifier means make bigger. You see, if you come to the Christmas season and you've got lots of family, you've got lots of friends, it kind of magnifies that. If you come to the Christmas season and um, you've got lots of money, it magnifies that. If you come to the Christmas season and you're lonely, it magnifies that. If it comes to the Christmas season and you're struggling, it magnifies that. And all these things become magnified in our lives and they become the big things in our life. But I believe that there's something bigger because you can, as they're magnified, you can see your great lack or you can hang on to these temporal things that you have. But when you look at Mary, after the angel left her, she sang this song and she said, My soul, that's the very depth of her, magnifies, it's her will and emotions, magnifies the Lord. And my spirit, which is the eternal part of her, rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked with favour on the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations more call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation till today." He has performed mighty deeds with his army. He has scattered those who are proud in thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down rulers from their thrones but has exalted the humble. And so when you come today, I believe God is saying to you, do you feel disqualified? Do you have trouble having faith? Have you given up on God? Have you been waiting for something a long time? Have you put God in a box? Or are you are just satisfied with the way things are and you're not expecting anything greater in your life? And so he's saying, will you magnify something else? Not the good things that are happening or the bad things that are happening, but will you magnify the Lord? Will you make Christmas the time where you magnify him so that you are ready for your suddenlies? When you practice magnifying the Lord, it's like if you imagine um, Magnifying the Lord is a balloon in your heart and mind that's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and it's squashing out all the other things and he becomes the thing you focus on and it makes you start to believe for the impossible. Magnifying the Lord means mag- just. Remembering that he loves you, focusing on his love, rejoicing in his power, rejoicing that he never changes, magnifying that in your heart and mind. Magnifying the Lord gives you a truer perspective so that you can rise up a little bit and realize that the suddenlies that are coming a part of God's plan for you because he loves you. Magnifying the Lord every day leads to a daily trust in him. Magnifying the Lord is the antidote to worry and to fear and anxiety. Magnifying the Lord helps you with forgiveness and overcoming bitterness and over Overcoming anger and overcoming disappointment, and so what is your as for me? King David in in Psalm 59 is in the middle of troubles, but he says, "As for me, I will sing about your power each morning. I will sing with joy about your unfailing love." Before he sees something happening, for you have been my refuge and a place of safety when I am in distress. And we sang it this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back again now. We sang, I will rest in your promises, my confidence is your faithfulness. And then we sang, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth, all these other things that we cling to, that we long for will go dim in the light of his glory and grace. And consider what's your as for me. As King David said, I'll say it again, in the middle of his trouble he says, I will sing about your power and I will sing with joy about your unfailing love. To magnify him makes those make those things bigger in your heart and mind, his power and his unfailing love. And then you will be ready for a suddenly to happen. You don't know when it's going to happen, but you know you have a father who loves you, he wants to do something extraordinary, and he wants you to be expecting that sometime when you least expect it, your suddenly will happen. So let's pray. We thank you, Father, that you love us and may we go away today knowing that you love us and may you be magnified in our hearts and minds because our hearts and minds are full of this. You love us and your unfailing love and your power will never fail us or forsake us and you are, Father, who delights in surprises. You delight in bringing blessings. You delight to see a surprise just as the shepherds were on the hillside that night. You delight in surprising us with your goodness your glory and your power. And so, Father, we pray today, may we leave old thoughts behind and may our hearts and our souls and our minds magnify you. May you be bigger than any other thought. In Jesus' name, amen. listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. May you have a safe and blessed week.